Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It is episode number 209. Uh, this week, I am pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Uh, is Mr. Paul Vosch. And Paul is very tired now, but will not be tired later on. And this is going to require an explanation. But first of all, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, John. I'm actually in the same country for once uh, on back-to-back episodes. So that's a nice thing. But I'm not actually in the same place. I'm not even in the same place between... <laughs> two shows well i'm in the same apartment in between the two halves of the episode but i am finally in my new apartment so uh, it's really really nice so you get to listen to the audio yeah. in two different rooms on the same episode so look forward to that yes so let's let's we have to briefly explain here what's going on basically we were originally planning to record on both shows on sunday april 11th the all japan champion carnival night three and the DT april fool corican that both took place on sunday all Japan said, hey, wait a minute. Fuck you. We have our show on VOD only, and we're not going to release it in time for you to record on on Sunday. So yeah, go fuck yourselves. And we, so basically what we did was we recorded on Sunday the DDT half. We already recorded that, but that's going to be the second half of the episode. So you're going to hear that after this. Uh, and now we're here back on Monday, April 12th, recording the All Japan half and the intro and everything. So uh, Paul was, you know, it was a normal hour for Paul yesterday, today, because, you know, I have work and, you know, 
Paul also has work, <laughs> I mean, but I mean, mostly because I have work, you know, even without the commute, I still got to work until a certain time. But anyway, the point is, it's midnight for Paul. So if Paul sounds <laughs> exhausted, it's because Paul's exhausted. But that's that's what happens. Uh, this was a, this is not our first our first plan. That's all I'm gonna say. But the DET stuff, we did we did like almost an hour just on that one DET quirk, and and you were very energetic for that. So <laughs> people people can look forward to that at the the second half of the episode that was recorded first. I think some of the discussions are going to be really confusing, and also I'm putting in my petition to name the episode "Time as a Flat Circle." <laughs> I'll put it in the description or something. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, did you get to catch any of WrestleMania, pal? I can't do. I can't do Vince. Why am I trying to do Vince for? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, uh, and again, like talking about things that are going to get confusing, I did catch some stuff about like uh, Fiend versus Orton as well. Where <laughs> you might okay. hear later that I'm hoping that it will happen in the middle of a hurricane, and I hope that both men get carried off by a tornado. But that, that didn't, didn't happen. happen something, so <laughs> something funny did happen, though. Uh, so let me—I'm just going to give everybody my quick and dirty WrestleMania review. Two seconds, because uh, I didn't even see all of both shows. So I can only only tell you what I saw. Night one, uh, Bobby Lashley beating Drew McIntyre to retain the WWE title. I went two and three quarters. A perfectly fine little match. I don't get why people are going way higher on it though. Uh, the tag team turmoil turmoil gauntlet. Easy for me to say. One by an Italian Tamina. Horrible. Uh, a dud, I guess. I don't know. It was a really horrible match. Uh, Cesaro beating Seth Rollins. Pretty good. I went three and a half stars on it. Good match. Um, you know, I don't I don't blame other people going higher, but it was definitely a good match. Uh, then I missed the next three matches because I switched over. Well, I missed the, basically the rest of the entire card because I switched over to watch the DDT Corican live, which, you know, you'll be hearing our thoughts on later. Um and, you know, I went back to watch the main event, though, because it was getting rave reviews. And for once, I totally agree with rave reviews for a WWE match. Uh, Bianca Belair beating Sasha Banks in 17-15 to win the SmackDown Women's title. Outstanding match. Four and a half stars. My favorite WWE match in many years at this point. Um, I, I really can't even think of what the last WWE match I went over four and a quarter on. I mean, just This was an outstanding match. Um you know, contrasting it with the main event of night two makes it even more obvious to me why I love this match so much because, like, I'm so sick of the WWE tropes, right? The WWE, uh, you know, the trope main event where, you know, it's a fucking three-way and there's interference because it's all legal, Michael, and they do lots of cool, you know, they do lots of uh, intricate spots involving uh, plunder and... I don't know. I just I can't can't bring myself to care about any of that. Here they just did a wrestling match and it was awesome, um, you know, and just a really outstanding work match. They told a very simple story of the the veteran Sasha against the young powerhouse Bianca, even though Bianca's actually older than her. But uh, I mean, from you know, Bianca's a rookie compared to Sasha, who's been there for years now. But yeah, I mean, it was a, just a very simple story with like Bianca doubting herself, and then in the end she beats her. Just a really outstanding match. The kind of shit you never get from them anymore. So, you know, definitely. Uh, if you're going to watch anything from this from these two shows, this is it. Although there's one there's one other recommendation I make, too, on night two. Uh, and then night two, Randy Orton beats The Fiend. Uh, it was under six minutes. So, you know, that's good. It had probably the funniest finish I could have imagined. I never, I mean, who could have told you, you know, if I had told you yesterday, Paul, 
what is, you know, asked you, like, Paul, what is the finish <laughs> of uh, Orin versus the Fiend going to be? I don't think you would have ever come up with, hey, John, uh, there's going to be a giant jack-in-the-box, and Alexa Bliss will come out of the jack-in-the-box with a crown of thorns on her head, and black goo will caress down her face, and the Fiend will turn around and take one single... Well, the Fiend will be very concerned for some reason. Like, Alexa, like, he'll slowly walk towards her <laughs> with his hand in the air like, My queen, what is what what has what has happened to you? And then he turns around to one single RKO from Randy Orton. And despite the fact that he once, like, kept kicking out of, like, 10,000 uh, fucking curb stomps from Seth Rollins, a single RKO will pin him. And it's like... Don't forget, don't he also know. came back from being burned alive. But look, it's an RKO out of nowhere. Like, who can withstand that? No one can. If we've learned anything in wrestling over the past 10 years, is that an RKO out of nowhere will just finish anyone. <laughs> so fucking stupid. But yeah, this was at least so bad it was funny, but obviously like negative stars. Uh, the tag team match for the women's tag titles, Nia, uh, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler beating Italian Tamina. Uh, pretty terrible. I don't know. I don't remember what I gave it. I gave it bad. Uh, Kevin Owens beating Sami Zayn. This is the other match that was awesome. Uh, it only went nine minutes and 20 seconds. I wish it was longer, but it was still so awesome. I still went four stars flat on it. So definitely watch that. Uh, did not watch Seamus versus Riddle. I put on the New York Rangers instead. Uh, Apollo Crews and Big E, you know, it was fine. Three stars. I don't, didn't really have a problem with it. Just uh, you know, their usual kind of no DQ match, which they're doing another one later in the night. I don't know why they had to do one here. So the ring wasn't then, covered in drums? No, they, there were like a whole bunch of drums on the outside. Oh, Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> of course there were. Uh, the big disappointment of these two shows, Rhea Ripley defeating Asuka to win the Raw Women's title. I, you know, I like both these wrestlers, especially Asuka, obviously, but this was just a very average match, like two and a half stars, really uh, not worth watching. And the main event, Roman Reigns beating Edge and Bryan. Uh, you know, I just, it's a match I've seen lots of people raving about. If you like WWE trope stuff, I'm sure you loved it. At, at this point, the, these matches have a ceiling with me and I can't go higher than like three and a half stars. You can tell it was well executed. I just don't, I, you know, there's no one. Later on, we'll, we're going to, uh, obviously already recorded, but later on you'll hear me talk about Don Chokardino versus Junakiyama. And I said like, even though I think it was an outstanding match, as you know, you'll hear all about, if you don't like Dino matches, that one won't change your mind. If you don't like WWE trope main events, you know, the, the wild brawl, quote unquote, the intricate spots, the, you know, we have to wait around for Roman Reigns to set up a power bomb through a table. You won't like that either. Uh, if you love that stuff, this is probably as good as you're going to get, basically. I mean, it's, it's a very, very good at that style. That style is not really for me. So I gave it three and a half and moved on with my life. But yeah, I mean, overall, I thought this was still one of the, from what I saw at least, one of the better manias certainly in the past few years. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think they can ever go back to one night again because this was so much better. <laughs> like, just being able to split it up instead of having one fucking seven-hour show. Uh, you know, it's just a million times better. Look, but, I yeah. mean, WrestleMania, right, it's the it's like the biggest event, so... And it's when they get the most attention. So obviously, if they just rebrand everything to be WrestleMania now, oh, yeah. like they get all that attention all the time, right? That's how it works. <laughs> WrestleMania Backlash is the title of Backlash. Just keep, keep going all the way with it. Man. Let's have WrestleMania Taboo Tuesday, WrestleMania Great Balls of Fire, uh, WrestleMania December to, December to Dismember. Let's do it all, baby. I don't know. It's so, so stupid. 
Uh, WrestleMania, the horror show is Extreme Rules. Uh, yes. WrestleMania Fastlane, Room Room. <laughs> WrestleMania Fastlane, Room Room. WrestleMania Roadblock on the road to WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there you go. That's that's our that's my mini WrestleMania report. Uh, you know, I, I'd say again, really, I would highly recommend. Owens and Zayn and Bianca and Sasha. And there's a bunch of other stuff that's pretty good. And Orin versus The Fiend is really funny. Um, but other than that, you know. And part of the comedy Orton versus Fiend, too, is before that finish, they just did, like, a regular wrestling match. Like, after all that. Like, they just got in there. I mean, they had the Fiend lighting. But, like, you know, he just tried to, like... He, bur- he didn't try to. He burned you alive and made you come back as a burned zombie man. And the fiend was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do some wrestling now. Let's uh, let's do some let's do some graveling." I'm like, "What is this match?" I'm like, if, I, I've never been burned alive, but I think if I was, I would like want to do something other than like wrestling moves to the other guy. It's just really bizarre after all that build and everything, like all the magic tricks too that Alexa was doing in the entire lead up and everything, and, and like fucking uh, and the fiend's just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna you know stick my fingers in your mouth." That's my. <laughs> It's like what the heck? It's like what the fuck? But uh, you know, the fiend. Look, sometimes Anyone... some grudges can only be settled with a good old like conflict <laughs> in the ring. Just some good old catch as catch can. Like that's just how men settle it, really. A, a mandible claw. That's yes, right. Exactly. You, you try. You tried to. You tried to burn me alive. Here's my fingers down your throat. <laughs> it's like okay. Well, anyway, so that's the WrestleMania reveal. Let's get into the Champion Carnival, uh, night three from Niigata, Sunday, April 11th. Not for the rest, not for anybody there who wasn't there at the building. It wasn't Sunday, April 11th. But yes, that's when the show took place. Uh, so if you're wondering about nights one and two, of course, the answer is they are available right now on the Wrestling Omikase Patreon. So we're doing daily audio coverage of every single show of the Champion Carnival, except for this one, exclusively on the Patreon. So if you want to hear my thoughts on nights one and two, uh, night one is a show that I loved, night two is a show that I kind of hated, so uh, quite a dichotomy there. Um, and then every show going forward from here on out, all the way to the finals, will only be on the, cha- on the Patreon. So if you want to follow along, daily audio reviews, every single Champion Carnival tournament match, only on the Patreon. So again, it's patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. You guys should know that by now because I plug it every week. But it's only $5. You get every single Champion Carnival uh, episode coming up, the two that we've already done, plus the Champion Carnival Finals Retro Roulette I did with uh, Jerry from Voices of Wrestling back last week, which was a lot of fun. Uh, We covered a ton of stuff like 80s, 90s, 2000s, all the way up to 2019. So, you know, we got a really, really interesting batch of matches with Sal and Tawe. That was so much fun to talk about. Um, That was from 95. But, yeah. Uh, so, you know, plus everything else on there, you know, if you want to go back and relive the New Japan Cup, you can. We have tons of different series covering, uh, you know, different themes of, like, one-match episodes, um, you know, where each episode covers one match. Ah, but yes, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Uh, on All on the Patreon, two exclusive full episodes a month. So definitely, I think, more than worth your $5. So patreon.com slash wrestlingomikase. All right, so let's get into this show. Uh, I will give the results of the non-tournament matches. I did not watch them. Did you? I never watched the non-tournament ones. I don't know. Did you watch them? Uh, I did watch the non-tournament matches. Like, I mean, as I said, oh. like they're not essential, but I think 
they at least like if you have the time to watch them like i think it's worth watching them because like the next generation of like all japan is on there and it's looking pretty decent so like it's it's worth checking out so the opener hikaru sato dan tamura and francisco akira be izanagi atsuki ariyagi and rising hayato sato be ariyagi in 843 with a backdrop any quick thoughts on this one uh no makes perfect sense i mean it's the exact same match they had the night before essentially and Sato's the next junior challenger, so all makes perfect yes. sense. That is coming up on this tour, I believe, on night six? Let's see. Yeah. No, night, night seven. Yeah. So it's a Sunday, April 25th, Corican. Uh Then we have the second match, Koji Iwamoto beating Ryuki Honda. This is during Honda's seven-match trial series. Uh, I th- well, it's the fourth one, I think, right? I, yeah, I believe so, but yeah. No, this was pretty fun. Iwamoto beat him in 756 with a chicken wing arm lock. Yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, it was pretty fun. I mean, Hanna's obviously going to be a heavyweight, but Iwamoto also, like, he gave him a bit of stuff, but he also, like, very clearly showed that he's, like, better than him still. But, like, Hanna, I think, is going to be fine and, like, definitely someone to look out for. Uh, in match three, the Total Eclipse team, Tajiri, Hokoto Omori, and Yusuke Kodama, beating Yoshitatsu, Takao Omori, and Blackman Ray. Uh, Hokoto gets the pin on Minso Ray as he did yesterday and at 750. I think on night one too. I think he pins him every night. But yeah. I mean, it seems that this is actually building to an all Japan TV uh, six man title match soon as well. Oh, there you go. Uh, so there we get to our champion carnival matches. It kicks off here with Jake Lee defeating Koji Doi in 810 with the D4C. Uh, Lee goes to two and one and Doi drops to one and two. So this one here, this started out with Lee. Uh, you know, since they're both in total clips, Lee told Doi to lay down for him as soon as the match started. That went about as well for him as it always goes for the Bullet Club leaders <laughs> in the G1. Uh, Doi immediately tried to roll him up with a crucifix hold instead. Uh, I should note, too, by the way, this show was like single hard cam, which that stuff can be a little hard to watch. I don't think it really was on this show. I think they, I don't know. Like, there's some venues that lend itself to it better than others, I guess. Like, some venues you feel like you're so fucking far from the like there's just so much space in front of you that like i don't know maybe it depends on how they set up the hard cam it really didn't bother me that much on this show once i started watching it there are shows it was fine but i I think when it bothered me was like when they went like widescreen because that venue just looks like weird on like Mm. the wide shots but like when they just focused on the ring i think it was fine yeah i mean there are shows where it feels like the hard cam is too far from it or something uh doy ends up getting the early edge here he puts jake down with a shoulder block, he hits a jumping elbow, but he only gets a one count off of it. Uh, he follows up by stomping Jake out in the corner. Uh, Jake, though, comes back with a knee to the gut, tosses him to the outside, slams Dory into the apron repeatedly, but Dory finally reverses one of these and starts giving him a taste of his own medicine. Uh, back in the ring, Dory hits a running spear for a two count. Uh, Jake finally comes back with his flying kick. That leaves both guys down. The crowd was like into this uh, interstable battle. I thought they were clapping pretty loudly here. Uh, so, you know, they, they were into this, uh, you know, Eclipse versus Eclipse battle. Lee hits a running boot in the corner for a two count. He hits a series of knees, followed by a running knee to the chest for another near fall, just before the five-minute call. And then Doi enters back with his cool little hanging stomp uh, in the ropes for another two count. He hits Lee with three straight short-arm lariats, but only gets another two count off of that. Uh, Doi then goes for his big running finishing lariat, 
but Lee counters with two more running knees, yet another near fall. He hits his big Bamaye-esque running knee to the back of the head, followed by his delayed brain buster, and that is the pin. I thought this was a decent little opener. Nothing you're going to remember uh, at the end of the tournament or anything. They both worked hard in their limited amount of time. They both looked you know, pretty good, and Lee putting Dory away decisively makes sense since he's the underling and all that. Uh, but even in the amount of time it went, I thought it got a little repetitive for me. So I only ended up going uh, two and three quarters. Above average match, but uh, not like a bagger of an opener to me or anything. Yeah, no, definitely. Like nothing special. Uh, but it also didn't really have to be like given like the card position and everything and where the show was happening too. So I think it was perfectly look at, fine. Look at Paul hating, hating, on the, hating on the people of Niigata. You don't deserve, you don't deserve at hot action, Niigata. No, and, and, it's, and it's actually something that I'm going to talk about later that actually, or, or mention later, it's actually one of the reasons why I'm not really concerned about the quality of the shows just yet. Because that's just kind of how the champion carnival always has been in past years. Like where it, it tends to start off with a really hot show and then it starts to like die down a little until they get to Corrigan. And like normally that's what happens. Obviously it didn't happen last year, but I'm still not really concerned. And I still thought this was like the like this was this match was still like better than most of the matches we saw last year, even though it was only like average essentially. You ever look at like a map of Japan and be like, why is why are all the cities on one coast basically like Niigata is the only major city basically on the on the entire I guess you call it north coast of Honshu like every other city is on the south coast it's kind of interesting that is weird like, yeah. Uh, yeah I guess they all that's just how the country developed but yeah I mean like and Niigata is not that big a city but I mean it's like the only city that really you know gets like the big bold-faced uh font on a Japanese map and then obviously the other coast, you go all the way like Hiroshima, Osaka, Nagoya, Yokohama, Tokyo, all the way up to Sendai. Like all these big cities are all on that coast. It's kind of interesting. Probably has yeah, something to do with like that. mountains and like the way currents work and everything. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I just found thought that was because I, I, you know, it's it's fun to like follow along these tours and it's like they went all the way out here in Niigata after you know they, Osaka to Nagoya. That was pretty quick. Like Nagoya to Niigata. That is a long trip if you look at it on a map. Uh, but yeah, I guess they, they get a lot of time off after this anyway because the, the next show is not until next Saturday. But uh, Our next match is Shuji Ishikawa defeating Yuma Aoyagi in 11-13. Shuji goes to 2-1 and, and Aoyagi goes to 1-2. Should also mention, by the way, they dropped from five tournament matches to four. Uh, it was five matches each on the first two nights and then four each for... Uh, nights three through seven, I believe, and then the penultimate show it goes back to five, which I don't really mind that. I saw some people who weren't that into it, but I, you know, four matches is kind of a good amount for a daily tournament. I don't know, uh, but anyway, but I mean, you know, you do have to worry about like who's off on each night now, so I guess it gets a little hard to keep track of. The two people off here, by the way, were Kohei Sato and Shinjiro Tani. Uh, but anyway, so Ishikawa and Aoyagi, we start with Shuji giving Yuma a clean break after backing him up into the ropes. Uh, he ends up running him down with a shoulder block soon after that. Uh, Yuma then low bridges him out under the apron, drop kicks him to the floor. Uh, on the floor, Shuji, though, cuts him off and like hits a double stomp off the apron. Always looks pretty nasty. Uh, back in the ring, Yuma tries to come back. Shuji easily sidesteps a missile drop kick off the second rope. 
beats him beats him down some more after that. Uh, Yuma starts like turning on the jets a little bit to try to use his speed against the bigger Shuji. He eventually catches him with a nice running forearm after kind of running circles around him, and then he follows up with a crossbody off the second rope just before the five minute mark. Then a second crossbody up the top. I didn't think that looked as good as the one up the second rope for some reason, but you know just like a weird impact or something. But uh, that gets a two count. Uh, when Shuji kicks out, Yuma goes straight into the end game, but Shuji is able to get his foot on the bottom rope to break it. Uh, Yuma gets goes for a German suplex. Shuji, though, is able to fight out of it. He hits a running lariat to Yuma in the corner. He hits a double stomp off the second rope for a two count. Uh, Yuma then comes back by finally getting his German suplex, but Shuji does the old pop-up and hit a lariat before I sell it deal, which they've been doing in all Japan seemingly since the beginning of time. Uh, and that leaves both guys down. Both guys then trade some strikes before Shuji hits a nice little running clothesline for a two count. He immediately follows up with a giant knee for an even closer near fall. Yuma just barely kicks out. But Yuma comes back and gets the end game back on. And here I thought Shuji selling was a bit hokey for me. Like he was doing this big open mouth like... I don't know, it looked like a, a fucking fish like in the middle of gasping for air or something. It looked pretty stupid. Uh, he did make the rope, so just before the 10-minute call. Yuma hits a strike combo to Shuji up against the ropes, but Shuji like, pulls him in and hits the fire thunder driver out of nowhere. That was a really cool spot. Uh, he can't cover or follow up right away, though, and Yuma then escapes when Shuji finally goes for the Splash Mountain. Yuma tries a couple of flash pin attempts for near falls, then he schoolboys Shuji when Shuji was trying it for the giant knee again. But Shuji cuts back on the cradle into one uh, flash pin of his own, and that is the pin. I am a big fan of flash pin finishes, I think as longtime listeners know. Uh, I like it even more, though, when it's coming from someone like Shuji, who you wouldn't necessarily expect it from. It was just like such a great little cutback on Yuma's cradle, and it's the kind of thing we need more of in wrestling nowadays. Like It only takes three seconds to pin somebody. Doesn't always have to be a fucking uh, you know. I feel like Sonata here. He always makes this point. It's not all about dropping people on their heads. But yeah, this was a damn good match. Outside of my little complaint about Shuji selling, uh, it's nothing that's going to hit your you know fucking notebook or anything. But I had fun with it. I went three and a half stars on this. You know, and I think especially like you mentioned, kind of a creative finish being really good. But what I find interesting about it is kind of like it shows kind of the development of both men as well, because obviously like these two like have had quite a few matches at this stage uh but like generally like when they face each other i'm actually trying to look at it but i think yeah like yuma has actually never beaten shuji ishikawa in like a one-on-one match and and, like yeah he has beaten him in tag matches but like like generally like when these face off and i think what was really interesting about it was also that it was a flash pin finish between these two because uh, like when they first faced off like Shuji would just decisively beat Yuma. Because Yuma, obviously, like, even in tag matches, like, generally is, like, the guy taking the heat and everything. Uh-huh. And, like, he would just, like, beat up Yuma, and he would just leave him laying and just beat him decisively. And it, I think it kind of shows, like, the development, like, both, like, Shuji, like, sliding down, like, the ladder a bit, and then Yuma, like, slowly, like, moving his way up now that, like, Shuji can't beat him anymore, like, normally. Like, he has to beat him with a flash pin, and that's the only way he can, like, beat him anymore. Because he can't beat him, like, with his normal move. So, to confirm, they have three singles meetings in the 2019, 2020, and 2021 Champion Carnival. And Shuji is indeed 3-0 against him. So, there you go. 
but uh, just to confirm your point there. Uh, then we go to the third match of the evening, which was Kento Miyahara losing to Shotaro Ashino in 12-11 with the ankle lock. So Shotaro is 1-2, and, and now Kento is also 1-2. Uh, Ashino, he goes right after Kento's leg to start. He's driving into the apron and the ring post and, you know, squeezing on the apron uh, or squeezing on the ankles from the floor. It makes sense he would get this vicious right off the bat. He's already started 0-2, of course, and, you know, he's staring down a possible 0-3 against the ace. Uh, Kento, though, comes back with a running knee in the corner. Uh, Apparently, this is today's limb work. What limb work match? Um, I will say, at least it feels like he shrugs off less limb work than we got in the last two nights in a couple different matches. Uh, so it didn't really bother me as much as it did in a lot of those in, in either of those matches. Uh, like one was like Shuji and somebody from night one. I should look this up first. It was like Shuji and uh, Koji Doi from night one, and then there was like another one from night two. I think it was was it you? I think it was you and Shotaro. But yeah, there was like there was a match on each night where they they shrug it off a lot of limb work. Yeah, Here, yeah no, it was Shuji versus versus uh, no, it was Yuma versus. Uh, Ashino in the previous night. Yeah. 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 And here they were like, you know, they, they really didn't start off that badly, but, you know, it is notable. They seem to be doing this every night. Uh, Ashino cuts him off, though, again, and hits his deadlift gut wrench suplex for a two count just before the five minute call. Then he mocks Kento's clap, which is kind of funny, you know, because Kento has that thing that plays at the end of his theme song where he's like, that's right, clap for me. Duh, duh, duh. And Shotaro gets up, he's like, duh, 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 yeah, huh? But it's like, you're not a heel anymore, buddy. What are you doing? Supposed to be a nice guy now. Uh, Kento tries to come back with a German suplex, but Ashino counters the German attempt straight into an ankle lock, uh, which sends Kento scrambling to the ropes to break. Great little spot there. Uh, Ashino follows Kento onto the apron. He teases uh, German suplexing him off of there. Kento does a great job just selling his desperation as he's grabbing on the ropes to block. Uh, he cuts Ashino off and hits an apron power driver on the apron instead. But then we go back to the ring where Ashino escapes the big shutdown German, only for Kento to hit a normal German. Ashino no-sells it, hits his own German. Kento also no-sells it, which leaves us at a standoff. They have a, a decent little elbow exchange, and Ashino like, shifts to his uh, hard European uppercuts to put Kento down. He charges in. But Kento counters with his big high knee just before the 10-minute call. Kento then hits the blackout knee for a very close 2.9 count. He goes for the shutdown German again, but Ashino struggles back, to, struggles to block it, and then finally gets out when Kento has him like lifted halfway up. Uh, Ashino goes for the ankle lock again. Kento counters with a kick to the face with the other leg, and then hit another flying knee. But Ashino no sells it. And locks the ankle lock, uh, ankle lock back on anyway. Uh, he rolls through it, though, and then gets Kento right in the middle. Kento's unable to kick his way out of it. Kento tries to stand up out of it. Ashino turns it into the heel hook, and Kento taps. I was pretty stunned when Kento tapped, honestly. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was like, I did not. Like, I thought Ashino probably had a chance to win this, but I thought it would be some fucking roll-up. I didn't think he was going to tap him out. Uh, but, yes, yeah, huge win for Ashino, obviously. He avoids starting off 0-3. And more importantly, he beats Kento clean via tap out. Uh, this is a damn good 10 minute match. I thought it was match of the night. You know, other than a bit of a uh, spotty leg selling at the start, which, you know, like I said, didn't bother me that much since it was only a tiny bit of leg work this time. I thought this was really good. Uh, I couldn't quite go four on it, but I went like three and three quarters. Really good match.
Yeah, no, I pretty much agree. I think Kento is off to a really, really good start in the Champion Carnival. So far. Oh, yeah. Like, obviously, like him against Zeus is always great. Uh, the match with Otani, that was easily the best match of night, too, as well. And yeah, he had the match of the night, like, here again. So, uh, yeah. And like, given who he still has know, left on the schedule people... as well, like, I think, like, he has, like, like, there should be, like, even more bangers coming out of him as well. Yeah, I was gonna say, I know some people are very sick of him. And I get it sometimes, but like he's clearly he and Otani are carrying this tournament so far, honestly. So and Otani did not work night three. So yeah, and I mean, um, look, he hasn't been champion in like over a year now. So yeah, I mean, you know, get the guy a break. Uh, <laughs> but you know, this was a like I said, a really fun little match here. Um, it makes up for their match in last year's champion car, which I thought was fucking horrible. Uh, but this one was really. I bad. mean, it was definitely bad for the booking. Uh, what, what I'm actually curious about, just real quick, because I don't remember who Kento is actually facing on the final night of the champion uh, carnival. Jake, Jacob Lee. Is it Lee? Yeah. So that actually makes perfect sense. So they're probably going to do like a comeback story with Kento, and then Lee Jake will just like. Take him out on the final. Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Kento's facing Yuma. Oh, Yuma. In the last oh, interesting. Yeah, Jake, Lee facing, Jake Lee's facing Chuji Chikawa in the last night. I don't know why I thought it was Kento versus Lee. When the hell are those two facing off? Let's say. Yeah, that, that might be a draw then uh, if it's not on the final night or something because then they might just want to save that. Like, that might actually be something. Kento might actually win that one because they might want to save that win for, for Jake. Oh, Kento and Jake Lee. So I get everybody has a match that's not happening. And that's it for Kento. Ah, that's only nine nights. That's probably literally the reason why they do that. So they don't have to do that match because they don't do blocks. That might literally be the reason why they do why they have like one match that doesn't happen. So they won't have to do that match. And then yeah, it makes makes sense for like Yuma to like play spoiler for uh, uh, for Kento there as his tag team partner. Yeah, so so Kento versus Jake Lee is not happening. They're saving that match. There you go. Because uh, I'm looking through the whole schedule, I'm like looking at another time just to make sure I'm not missing it. But now, that is Kent. Because I was thinking about the math, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. There's nine shows, ten guys, but everybody gets the night off. I mean, yeah. the only conclusion is there's a match that doesn't happen for everybody. And it's Kendo versus Lee, I guess, for them. No, sure. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you definitely want to save. You definitely want to save that Jake Lee one. Like. Uh, Suwama versus Zeus. It was the main event. Uh, Zeus. Somewhat surprisingly to me, beat Suwama in 1952, the jackhammer. Starts off 3-0 and here, the defending carnival champion, and Suwama's now 1-2. and uh, We start with the usual big boy shoulder block battle and stuff that you would expect. Zeus gets an early edge. He knocks Suwama down. He starts going after Suwama's arm a bit for a change. He works that over for a while. Uh, he locks him in a Fujiwara armbar, but Suwama is able to make it to the ropes to break. Uh, they end up on the floor. Suwama beats on Zeus for a while, rather slowly, of course, because, you know, Suwama's not doing much quick these days. He rams Zeus into the ring post from a power slam position and then rolls back in the ring. Uh, he Zeus eventually gets back in there and Suwama stays on him. He beats him down for a while, locks in a Boston Crab. Just seems like I had a ton to recap here. It was pretty slow and uh, pretty boring, honestly. But it does pick up from here. Zeus finally fires up with his hard chops and then hits a flying clothesline. He gets Suwama in a cross arm breaker, but Suwama's able to get out. Uh, Suwama comes back and tries for the last ride, but he can't lift Zeus due to, due to the bad arm. So uh, I guess that's good psychology, even though he really wasn't doing much to, much else to sell the arm between that. But you could argue like lifting a guy for a power bomb would take 
you know, much more arm strength than anything else. So I get it. Uh, Suwama hits a series of German suplexes instead, but Zeus pops right up and no-sells them all before running Suwama over with a lariat, which leaves both guys down again. Uh, they get back up to their knees and trade elbows. They stand back up. Suwama hits a double chop, but Zeus ducks a lariat and gets one of his own. A, it's a little weaker than his usual lariat, to be honest. I thought it was kind of a like a subpar lariat, especially for Zeus. He heads up top and hits a frog splash. Now, this spot I didn't fucking get. I was hoping you could answer it for me. Was Suwama supposed to get his knees up? Was that supposed to happen here? Because he, he really didn't. And but Zeus sells it like he did. So, like, I don't know. What the fuck happened? Yeah, though, no, I, I think it was a bit of a portion. Maybe Suwama was just like, my knees are kind of really, really screwed up, so I don't want to take that chance. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it and hope that Zeus will sell it anyway. And I guess that was happening. Yeah. Zeus didn't sell it. I mean, Zeus sold like like Suwama got his knees up, but Suwama never got his knees up. So just a very bizarre spot. Uh, Suwama comes back with some slaps and some chops to the chest of Zeus. He hits a much better lariat than Zeus just did. Uh, and that gets a two count. Zeus takes a weirdly long time to set up an air raid crash before finally heading it. That was another weird spot. Uh, but then he mounts Suwama, hits repeated forearms. He, go- he then hits a choke slam, but Suwama kicks out too. Zeus goes up top and hits another fox blast. This time he doesn't sell it like he hit phantom knees. Uh, he stays on top for a two count. As soon as Suwama kicks out, Zeus locks in the dreaded face lock, but Suwama gets his foot in the bottom rope. The weirdest spot. This match had a lot of weird spots. The referee, uh, Kyohei Wada, kicks the bottom rope so Suwama's foot gets knocked off, and Zeus immediately takes advantage and covers him, and Wada counts almost almost three, and it's a close two count. What the fuck? Is Wada Purple Haze now? What what a weird fucking spot that was. I was like, what the hell is going on here? Nevada has clearly finished his feud with Kento's, and now he's moving on to a feud with Suwama. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? It's not even like they were arguing or anything before that. And like there was any reason why Wada would kick the- it honest to God looked like Wada turned and joined Purple Haze. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? God, that would be awesome. That was, such a, that was such a weird spot. It's like Purple Haze Wada, I guess. Uh Suwama suddenly uh grabs Zeus and hits him with a big backdrop suplex out of nowhere to put a stop to Zeus's offensive flurry. Uh, after recovering some more, he hits a running lariat in the corner, and then another German suplex. Then he goes for a slow motion, ro- slow motion roaring lariat. I love that everyone in the company will not fucking take this roaring lariat anymore because I, I brought this up on the Patreon shows too. If Suwama ever actually hit someone with this fucking thing, he moves so slowly now it would make the guy look like a fucking dipshit. Just like, really, you couldn't duck this? Like, a fucking... Uh, it looks like he's stuck in a time loop as he very slowly rotates and then throw, goes to throw the lariat. Like, every single wrestler is like, I'm not taking that move, Suwama. You're, I'm gonna duck it. We're gonna... You're, you're gonna try to throw it, I'm gonna duck it. I'm not taking it. Because, like, it happens in every match now. It gets countered in every fucking match. I can't remember the last time I saw him actually hit somebody with it. But yeah, Zeus counters with his own lariat. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's yet another wrestler. He's like, I'm not taking that thing. Uh, they change some more strikes. Very fast-paced sequence. It ends with a nice lariat from Zeus, and that puts him down for a two-count. Zeus then hits the jackhammer, and that is the pin. He starts off 3-0 here. But yeah, all joking aside, I thought this was a good main event. Nothing that's going to, like, blow your mind or make your notebook or anything again. But, like, you know, once they got past the boring part, it turned into a good little power battle, even with the weirdness. 
So I would go about three and a half on this again. Good match between two veterans. Uh, not really a whole lot else to say about it, honestly. Yeah, no, after being very, very harsh on Tsuvama recently, I have to say that he's been solid so far in Champion Carnival. Yeah. Like, uh, like, his stuff actually looks a bit better, and I think it kind of like helps him as well that like he doesn't have to go like 30 minutes as well. Oh yeah. So I think that definitely like helps the structure of his matches as well. Like perfect example of that is like the Koi Sato match on the first night. Like like I said, I was on this very show ranting for like twenty minutes straight about how much I hated that match. And then like I actually really liked the Champion Carnival match, but it was also like literally like a third of the length of that match. It was just so yeah. much better. And I also kinda like that they have like Zeus out to like an early like dominant start as well, like especially because he is like last year's winner as well. That it shows like that that was not a fluke, that he's actually like really good. And then like I don't know yet which way they're gonna go. I think Zeus might actually sneak into the finals as well because that's just like an easy win for Jake and I think that probably would be a good match as well. But it could also just be that like Zeus like like he gets off to like the early start and he's like the the early favorite, and then he just loses out the rest of the tournament. So I'm kind of curious to see which way they're going to go here. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting. Hey, folks, a little awkward transition here because I forgot to record this week's ad live. Uh, but I need to let you know right now that support for Wrestling Omakase is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming? That's Manscaped, of course. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels they obsess over the technology obsess over it folks uh it's developed to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience manscaped is trusted by over two million men worldwide that's a lot of men folks two million men we have an exclusive offer for my listeners 20 percent off free shipping with the code omakase at manscaped.com that's m-a-n-s-c-a-p-e-d.com it's in the description as well, but uh, yeah, it's exclusive offer only for you guys and for every other listener, every other Voice Wrestling Network podcast, I guess. But make sure you use my code, which is Omakase. All right, those everything elite guys don't need any more money; they're all rich. Who nobody knows that except for me. Uh, <laughs> you can get twenty percent off again, free shipping with the code Omakase at Manscaped.com. Look, Michael Spears lives on a compound. Okay, he doesn't need your code. Manscaped.com. Omakase, your balls will thank you. Uh, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Promo code Omakase. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So here are your standings after night three. Uh, Zeus, of course, on top all by himself, 3-0 for six points. Then you have Jake Lee and Shuji Ishikawa, both 2-1 for four points. Uh, then Kohei Sato and Otani, they got two points, but they only wrestled two matches. They're both one and one. And then a whole lot of people at one and two for two points. Suwama, Kento Miyahara, Yuma Aoyagi, Koji Doi, and Shotaro Ashida. Um, my match ranking after night three, I figured I'd give my top five matches here. And again, if you want to hear talk about all these other matches, uh, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Uh, fifth place, I, w- I have Shotaro Ashino versus Kento Miyahara from this very show in Niigata, night three, at three and three quarters. Fourth place, I have Kohei Sato versus Suwama, which you just mentioned. You know, just, you know, I liked it better than their title match, too, even though 
I didn't, I wasn't quite as down on their title match as you were when we did that episode. But yeah, this was, you know, a good little sprint here from night one in Osaka, three and three quarters. Uh, third place, Kento versus Otani from night two in Nagoya. Really the only thing I think worth watching from that show. Uh, four stars flat on that. Second place, Otani versus Aoyagi from night one in Osaka. So a great start to the tournament for Otani, who wasn't on this show, but will be back for night four. I went four stars flat on that. And first place, Zeus versus Kento, also from night one in Osaka. So yes, that was a great show. And I went four and a quarter on that match. So, you know, just they have such amazing chemistry. They can have a match at that level in their sleep, basically. Uh, so that was you know not one of their all-time best or anything, but definitely an awesome match. Yeah, no, I think my ranking is actually pretty much exactly the same, except I have number two, one or two uh, reverse. Like, I I just like Yuma versus Otani just, like, a little bit more. Like, I think that just felt like a much more, like, like, it actually helped that it was only 10 minutes. Like, it just felt, like, a bit more snappy and everything. And just, like, after the finish, like, like the look on Otani's face, like, that was just tremendous. There you go. Uh, so show number four will be next Saturday. So these, this tournament has two long breaks, basically like two six day breaks where we have nights four and five are Saturday, Sunday, and they take another six days off and nights six and seven are again, Saturday, Sunday, and then only two days off before the final two nights, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, they'll all be live again, thankfully, except for night eight. So it's weird. The only other VOD show is the fucking penultimate show. It's kind of important, guys. <laughs> like, couldn't get the cameras out the fucking Yokohama. Nope. I get it for Niigata. Yokohama's like a fucking 20-minute trip from Tokyo. <laughs> what are you people doing? But anyway, uh, they, can't, they can't get it all the way out to Yokohama. Uh, Sunday, or this coming Saturday, the Shinkiba First Ring Show, uh, April 17th. This is a show... You can watch live uh, if you're on the East Coast of the U.S. or the West Coast, even better. But it's 11.30 p.m. Eastern time start. Uh, so I, the one I'm definitely going to watch live and, you know, probably have to review right after that because I'm uh, Never a big fan of those, here. but I can't complain about Japanese yeah. wrestling otherwise. So. <laughs> yeah, you, get, you usually get good start times out there in Europe. Uh, so this is the night off here for Kento and Shuji. So your four matches here are uh, Suwama against Koji Doi. They're both at two points. Uh, we have the undefeated Zeus at six points against Yuma Aoyagi with two points. Uh, does Yuma pull off the big upset, or does Zeus start off 4-0? I tend to think Zeus is starting off 4-0. I'm not so sure. I think Yuma might pull off the upset here. Uh, Jake Lee at four points against Otani at two points. Uh, that could be really good. Yeah, I think and like then... the way Otani has been working so far. like If Jake doesn't have a banger with Otani, I'm kind of worried, but like I think they're going to be And then Shotaro Ashino against Kohei Sato, both at two points. I don't. The last time I checked, they did not have the match order out yet, so be interesting to see where they go with the main event there. Uh, and again, that's at Shinkiba First Ring this coming Saturday, and you'll be able to hear all about it on the Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. Okay, so this is why we awkwardly transition. <laughs> Any final thoughts about the Champion Carnival before we get into yesterday's audio? Uh, I, f- I think it's been off to a solid start so far. Like, not much, like, blow-away stuff just yet, but as I said, like, that's it always tends to be, like, ha- weighted heavier towards the end anyway. So I think, like, the end of the tournament is actually going to deliver, so I'm not worried. It's a much better start than last year, well, that is like, for sure. I, I mean, I didn't think Night 2 was that yeah. good. But uh, but yeah, it's really with just for nights one and three. It's already no. I mean, nights one and three would be like 
probably the second and third best yeah. nights other than the final of the of last year's carnival. So I mean, you know. And night one would be like the absolute undisputed best show of last year's carnival. Like that wouldn't even be close yeah. anyway. Yeah, there you go. All right, folks. So uh we'll be back in just a second with an hour on DDT's uh April Full Corican, including some outdated WrestleMania takes. So Stay tuned for that. Here comes the wacky time warp music. <laughs> Should I put wacky music here? I don't know. <laughs> uh, just, just, it's funnier when it's just, a, a, just like a direct cut to me talking. So, okay. Take it away, Pat's John. All right, folks. Through the magic of audio, you've already heard our All Japan Champion Carnival Night 3 review. This is the second half of Omakase 209. We're now talking about the DDT April Fool show. So, yes, it's funny how recorded audio works. You've now heard us talk about a show neither of us have even watched yet. So I don't know what's got, what you heard on the first half. Maybe the show was great. Maybe it was bad. You know and we don't. That's how recorded audio works sometimes. Also, uh, for yeah. some reason, or at least very likely, I sound way more energetic now than I did on the first half. I'm just <laughs> going to assume I'm going to be way more tired tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to record this. I mean, we had planned on recording and, uh, you know... Uh, getting it up on Sunday, April 11th. But the problem was the All Japan show was on VOD, and I forgot that VOD for AllJapan.tv means whenever the fuck we feel like. So, you know, it looks like that'll be up, you know, like Monday uh, our time. So we'll get that done. We'll get the first half done and get this episode out tomorrow. But, uh, you know, we're, we're here recording on Sunday about the DDT show, which was quite great. I don't know how you feel about it, but I thought this was a great show. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I've kind of made it like my idea for this year as well to like watch a lot more DDT than I have in the past. And I think definitely this was like a good kind of step in that direction as well to like really make it, make sure that it is kind of appointment viewing, which I've done a pick and choose for DDT in the past, but I think I will definitely try and catch a lot more regularly going forward. Yeah. I mean, I've always said DDT to me is an easy promotion to follow because like the only thing that's like must watch to me are the monthly Corrigan's. And, you know, they're big shows where, like, you know, if you want to watch more shows, I do watch more shows occasionally. But, like, you know, if I, the only stuff I feel like, like, basically, if I have an open week and DET's running shows, I'll watch it. But if there's a million other things going on, you know, I know I can keep up with DET by just watching the monthly Corrigans and the, you know, your Peter Pans and all those, you know, ultimate parties. Uh, so, you know, it's just a much, it's a very easy promotion to follow, especially when, you know, everything else starts to feel overwhelming. So. Now, to be fair, this was actually a week where a ton of other stuff was going on, but... Yes, but I always, yeah. I never miss the Corrigans. Like, the yeah. Corrigans yeah. to me are, like, Definitely. appointment viewing. So, you know. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it is funny. That I, you, you haven't watched WrestleMania yet, have you? You probably already talked about this on part one. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. I'm probably not going to watch the second night either. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I heard I, good I, things about Sasha Bianca, so maybe I'll try and right, figure the, out the a only, way to watch that but yeah the only point the only reason why i want to bring up sasha bianca which i I'm, I'm sure we probably already talked about in part one briefly but like you know i was not expecting to basically watch two four and a half star matches back to back and that's what happened here but basically i you know i watched the first three matches of wrestlemania night one uh which by the way had like a 50 minute rain delay so i watched even less than i expected you know, the first few matches were pretty whatever. Uh, you know, Lashley and McIntyre was like, you know, two and three quarters. really wasn't that great. Uh, the women's tag gauntlet was horrible. I mean, really horrible. 
um, like, you know, basically dud level. And, you know, Orton, or, I mean, Orton, uh, Rollins and Cesaro, that was a good match, like three and a half stars. And that's where I ended, basically, because I it stopped there to, because April Fool aired live, uh, like 10.30 p.m. Eastern, you know, in the U.S., because it was 11.30 a.m. Japan start time. So I switched over to DDT, and as I'm watching this DDT show, people are just going nuts for Sasha versus Bianca, like almost never see. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Dot com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast network if i could have a moment of your time i'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors eufy video lock eufy video lock is a smart lock a 2k camera and a doorbell all three in one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated 
cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy Video Lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy Video Lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door People go nuts for a WWE match nowadays. So I basically was like, okay, well, I was going to probably watch that at some point anyway, but I'm definitely going to watch it after I finish this DDT show now. And I watched it, and I was, so I basically watched it right after Akiyama Dino, which we're about to get into, was an amazing match, and Sasha Bianca was an amazing <laughs> match too. So yeah, two, basically two matches that both made my top 10 matches of the year list uh, that I watched back to back, which I was not expecting to happen for either of them. No, we're um, talking about kind of bad weather for the Florida area as well. <laughs> Apparently, there's a tornado warning going on right now in Tampa. So I'm personally hoping that they put on uh, Orton versus The Fiend in the middle of a tornado because I think that would make that an instant five-star classic if both men just get carried off by a tornado <laughs> in the middle of the match. There you go. But yeah, so I want to make that point. I'm not going to go big into Sasha Bianca, obviously, but uh, you know, an outstanding match. Definitely recommend it if you haven't watched it and you know, i i am so used to people talking up w matches and then watching and be like oh yeah that was a good little three and a half star match and you know at this point like the fact that one actually did hold up to level people were saying it as was pretty stunning i mean that was my highest rated WWE match in probably like three or four years at least i really can't think of last time i went because i went like four and a quarter on brian kofi from two years ago which was like my you know, my in Brian Gulak, I think I gave the same thing last year. So yeah, I mean, this is just a really, really outstanding match, uh, Sasha and Bianca. Okay, no, also no, no, I really have to like take a look for that because I think literally everyone I've seen talk about the match has said that it's excellent. So 
Yeah. I might have I mean, to f- break my streak of like not yeah, the, watching WWE. Yeah, the lowest I've seen people go on is like four. So I think you will really like it. Now, also an outstanding match that I was not expecting. The main event of DDT April Fool, Junakiyama defeats Don Shokodino with the Chinko Clutch Exploder Suplex in 23-37. That means penis clutch, folks. Uh, V2 for Junakiyama. This was an incredible match. I mean, look, it's if you, the listener, hate Don Shokodino, hate his matches, will not watch them, first of all, I, I get it. You know, I get where people are coming from with that. And second of all, this match will not change your mind. So if you're one of these people that just cannot watch Dino, you know, finds the act disgusting, whatever the fuck, you, you, this match is not going to fucking change your mind. That's for sure. But if you can handle Dino, if you do enjoy his matches, this is like one of his best ever. And, you know, up there with like the, uh, I mean, he always, he kind of always delivers in these big moments, but like it's up there with like that Dice case Sasaki match from a couple of years ago. Um, you know, there's other ones too. I'm probably not even thinking of, but yeah, I mean, did he had one, like, I think who the fuck was champion them with the Chikawa, right? I think he had one with Shuji Chikawa that was really, really good. Maybe I'm making that up. Yeah, I think. Didn't he have like a really good match with Hiroshima too? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. But let me, I don't look up Shuji Chikawa's title ring because I feel like I don't. Want, I don't think I'm making that up. But maybe I'm making that up. Want to check it real quick? But yeah, I mean, like you know, this is a guy who, you know, he does come through when you know he's in a big title ring. I mean, you know, it, he, okay, it did happen. October twenty third, twenty sixteen, uh, Ishikawa beat him in twenty one twenty seven at Corrigan. Uh, and that that was his title shot for winning the gen- the DET general election that year, back when they still did that. So, yeah, that was during Ishikawa's title reign in 2016. But yeah, I mean, he does usually deliver in these big title matches. And uh, but this probably may- this may have been his best one yet. And a big part of that is you know Akiyama. I mean, Jun Akiyama is one of the best wrestlers who's ever lived. I don't think that should be a hot take. You know, even if you disagree with me, hopefully you at least understand where I'm coming from. This is one of the best wrestlers to ever do this. And he went out there with a guy who obviously is a very untraditional wrestler, <laughs> but he, I, he, I mean, he got, he, you know, he and this guy, they made it work. They made a Junakiyama. Like if you picture in your head, what does Junakiyama versus Don Shokudino look like? In a lot of ways, it probably is exactly what you expected. And, you know, they really made it work as far as like, the serious badass wrestler against this, uh, you know, you know, this character. <laughs> I mean, what else can you say about Dino? And, you know, it really delivered on that level of like, you know, these two very different wrestlers uh, coming together and like making something special. Like to me, it's the second best DET match of the year. It's the best Akiyama KOD title match. It's better than the Gucci one. Very slightly better than the Endo one. I gave them both the same rating. But yeah, this is an outstanding match. Yeah, I definitely uh, ended up liking this match a lot more than I thought I would. Like, I'm kind of like I'm not a person that goes like I can't watch Dino matches at all, but I just know that they're not for me. So I definitely didn't go into this like with like super high expectations. But like I was kind of like like when the match actually ended, I was like thinking in my head, I was like, yeah, no, I actually kind of love this match. And then the more I think about it, the more I actually like it. So. The match opened with a uh, pre-match video package. Some great lines in here. Of course, as always, a big thank you to DET English Update, DET Pro underscore EMG. Uh, Dino says, quote, DDT is like a weekly manga magazine 
with different manga coming in and out. Agyama is the main act right now, like Dragon Ball or Slam Dunk. Me, I always want to be that vulgar comic that parents don't want their kids to read. Just an, a great quote. It really does sum up DET too, because like, yeah, it is. You know, DET can be serious. It can be funny. It can be whatever you want, especially in the main scene. You know, like it'll be. I mean, you know, this is a title that you know Mako Satamura held at one point. Um, obviously, Dino has held it. You know, it can be different, very different, depending on you know who is holding the title. Um, the other awesome quote from the pre-match video was Junakama was asked, "What would Giant Baba say about this match?" And his answer was, he would always tell me that I do dumb things and then always shoot me a beaming smile. I hope he does the same today. Just a great line from Akiyama. Um, the match started with Dino offering Akiyama a handshake at the start, but it was a trick as he immediately hits a spinning back kick and then tries to pin Jay with the, uh, or June, with the Gado clutch. I guess I almost said Jay White because of the Gado clutch. But yes, yeah, so it gets a very close near fall. Uh, and then Akiyama's look of pure disgust as Dino is laying on the mat and daring Akiyama to come at him in his very unique way of doing so is really great. But Akiyama does go into his clutches and, like, you know, then watching June sell for, you know, a hand up his ass. Truly something. Uh, Dino, at one point, you know, the part of, the, part of, like, the entire story of this match was, like, you know, Dino representing DDT and what it means to be DDT. Versus this new outsider champion. And he yells. At one point he just yells DDT. And gives Akiyama a DDT on the apron. Which was like I guess kind of an obvious spot. But also just really was. Just kind of cool. Um, Dito then goes for the nightmare. But Akiyama avoids it. And then literally starts kicking Dino's ass. Just kicks the shit out of his ass. He goes for a knee drop. Or he gives him a knee drop off the apron for good measure. Uh, things do slow down from there. They chin lock from June just for the 10-minute mark. But, you know, it wasn't like egregiously long or anything. But I, I guess they need to get their breath a little bit. Uh, Dino counters a front suplex from Akiyama with one of his own. He does the uh, testicular claw, but, like, right into this cool sweep that takes Akiyama off his feet. And then a Shining Wizard-style knee for a near fall. A big thing in this match with Dino was, like, modifying his usual spots to make them, like, more serious and do actual damage. And this was, like, a, a cool example. He And then right after that, he teases the Nightmare again, you know, the thing where he, you know, pulls his pants down and, like, crotches over the guy. But it's a weird, serious version where he drops down really fast and turns it into a pinning, you know, a flash pin attempt and almost pins Akiyama. That was so awesome. I don't know if I've ever seen him do that before. And it was just such a cool, like, you, you know, uh, big match spot. Um, he then goes for the Don Shoko driver and Paul, you can back me up on this. I think when he stuffed June head in his tights, people screamed louder than they have in Japan since COVID started. E yeah, no, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. They, de- they definitely got the crowd to like violate the COVID protocols a couple of times, which was really like at this stage has become the, Japan indicator for really big pop, and they definitely yeah. did it in this case. Akiyama also showed that he can still milk a near fall for like all it's worth as well. Yeah, this crowd. I mean, look, this was a sellout crowd. This was six fifty, which is a uh, you know the the, the setup for Korokan right now, and this crowd was screaming their heads off 
the moment Akiyama's head was in his tights and Dino hit this fucking down sugar driver. Uh, but Akiyama did kick out it too, of course. But yeah, I mean, just like one of the last reactions from a Japanese show in forever. Um, you know, for people who don't understand why they push Dino in these main events, I mean, this is this is the reason. He, he gets gigantic reactions. Uh, we get a ref bump. Dino points at Makoto Oishi at ringside and then tells him to ram Akiyama's head into his ass. But uh, Oishi will not do it uh, because he's, he's loyal to Akiyama now. So Don Shoku gets Akiyama in the Don Shoku triangle. He starts pulling his tiny tights off. Uh, similar to what happened in Dino versus Sasaki back in the, back uh, a few years ago. Apparently they were, it wasn't as bad with accidental exposure as it was then, but there, there definitely was some, um, but yeah, Akiyama was able to get out of it. Uh, you know, just before the 15 minute call, he knees Dino twice. The second one was a running knee, but Dino kicks out too. Uh, Akiyama immediately locks him in his front neck lock. The, you know, the guillotine he does. But Dino escapes with aggressive humping, which I'm sure is the first time uh, that particular counter has been used against Akiyama's neck lock. Uh, June is the one who has to make the ropes to escape the, the humping. And then Dino hits the Shin Danshoku driver, which is just the head stuffed into the tiny, tiny tights. So, you know, nothing else there between him and you know what. And Akiyama kicks out again at two. And then Dino hits a fucking moonsault for another two count. He tries for another one. Akiyama rolls out of the way this time. He hits another running knee and goes for the Rich Clutch Exploder. And then an amazing thing happens. The lights go go dark. We get a video message from Dino. And again, thanks to DT English Update for the translation here. Dino says, if you're watching this video, I'm probably about to die. He's so serious, too. And he's like, before I die, or before I lose, let me tell this absolutely non-fictional story that I spent all night putting together. He says, last year was a struggle, and it really helped that you joined. And he goes, Akiyama, arigato. He's like, thank you for coming to DDT. Thank you for choosing DDT. And Akiyama, thank you for giving me time to recover. And he starts flipping it off the camera. He's like, forget everything I just said. I do everything to win. This is fucking brilliant, because they've had so many of these spots in DDT where like the lights go out and a video message starts playing, and it's almost always like, the wrestlers are weirdly frozen in time or whatever. And here it was like Dito broke the fourth wall of it. He was like, we're fine, actually. You just gave me time to escape your uh, wrist clutch exploder and recover from all the damage I've taken. It was just a great, like, evil plan on his part. Yeah, no, I, I also was so confused when that happened. Like, luckily, like, obviously, as I said, like, there's the DDT English uh, account, and I would have just been completely lost if I yeah. hadn't had that. And, you know, it was a really great spot. And I think really this was also like it signified the moment the match really kicked into another gear because I absolutely loved everything that like happened after they showed the video package. Yeah. So, I, I mean, one of the awesome, I mean, one of the other parts of why this was so great because Akiyama did an amazing job looking like legitimately moved at first before this twist with uh, Dino's double middle fingers. And then he turns right around and gets humped by Dino. Uh, Dino gives him the big kiss. That gets an enormous reaction. And then he does the Gotch-style Don Shoku driver. He covers Akiyama, but Akiyama still kicks out. Dino pulls down the tights again. Goes for the moonsault again. I couldn't tell if this was a botch or not. He sort of half lands it on Akiyama as Jun was in the middle of rolling out of the way. It may have been a botch, but if it was, they covered for it so well, it doesn't even matter. Because they, you know, both guys sold. 
And then Dino crawls over and covers Akiyama. Um, so I don't know. I, I didn't have any problem with the spot. I, 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 think, I definitely think it was a botch. But as I said, they covered pretty well for it. But yeah, it definitely looks like Dino kind of like... Like either Akiyama wasn't quick enough rolling out of the way or Dino just really undershot his moonsault there. But yeah, yeah. I mean, they covered for it well, so I, it didn't hurt the match for me. Yeah, me neither. Um, Dino pulls down more tights. Uh, he just like, I guess, stuffs them in between to hide his, you know, his penis. And he tries another moonsault. Akiyama rolls out of the way. He is not happy to have seen Dino's deck. He gets all pissed off. He hits another running knee for another two count. Dino gives him another double bird. Akiyama hits two more running knees. He pulls the knee pad down, delivers a third one. Dino still flipping him off, uh, but Dino still kicks out. I, I thought that was going to be the finish, with Dino being like one more middle finger and getting hit with his knee. So just, just an amazing near fall. And then Akiyama delivers a rich clutch exploder. Dino fucking kicks out again. The crowd cannot believe it. They're just losing their minds. And Akiyama gives him yet an, one final wrist clutch and penis clutch exploder, which the announcer calls a Don Shoku clutch exploder, but the official name ended up being like penis clutch. Um, but yes, and that's finally the pen. Again, if you hate Don Shoku Dino, refuse to watch his matches, I get it. You probably won't like this one either, so don't bother. But this is an honest-to-God, incredible match. The story of Akiyama having like basically embraced Dino to beat him was like weirdly heartwarming, and his grit at the end was perfect too. So big match, Dino delivers again, and Jun Akiyama remains one of the best pro wrestlers ever lived. Four and a half stars, easy, easy put four and a half for me. Yeah, no, like for me, this was also like an all-time great like Jun Akiyama performance as well. Like Dino did well in the match as well, but I think Akiyama is really the guy that sold me in it. Like obviously, like Akiyama is like one of my all-time favorite guys as well, so that probably helps as well. Uh, but like he just really was essentially to me the story was that like uh, like Dino was like the guy that is like anything can happen DDT. It's a manga, or whatever. It's like yeah, I I can beat this outsider. Anything can happen. And Jun Akiyama is just like. I'm Jun fucking Akiyama. I'm just going to fucking beat the shit out of you. The fuck do you think you are? Like, I'm just going to beat you up. I, you think I won't just fucking grab your dick and exploder you into oblivion? Like, like, no, come on, man. I don't care. I'm just going to win this match. Fuck you. And, like, I just really love that energy about Akiyama. Like, I actually wish that Akiyama would have maybe gone a bit harder. Like, you know, in a weird way, the match that I was reminded of when I watched this, it was actually Akiyama against Shibata. Because, oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, that sounds weird. That sounds completely weird at first, like, especially to people that haven't seen that match. But it was, like, very similar energy where, like, Dino was kind of like the, like, he, he was a bit cocky, like, because he definitely felt like, like, look, this is, this is my turf. You're entering my turf now. Like, it's, this is my hometown. Like, you're not just going to, like, easily beat me. And Akiyama is just, like, if you fuck around with Akiyama, he's just going to fuck you up. And that's basically what he did in this match as well. And I think what also made me realize, like, this whole show, basically, but I think especially this match made me realize why I'm so much more in favor of the Akiyama title reign versus the Muto title reign is, I mean, obviously, first of all, Akiyama can very clearly still go. I mean, that's not very surprising. I think even at the prime of the peak, like, Akiyama is just a better worker than Muto. Like, Muto, obviously, at his prime was great, and now it's a bit debatable. But, like, 
Akiyama is just such an amazing worker. And I think what he really does to DDT and why this title reign feels so much different is that he brings a certain, he brings a different kind of legitimacy to DDT. Because obviously at this stage, DDT is a much bigger company at No and has been for a long time. But I think if you ask the average wrestling fan, like both in Japan and especially in the West, like what is like the more prestigious company, it would still be Noah. And I think having someone like Akiyama choose to be in DDT instead of Noah adds like a whole, like, like and be the champion to carry the company adds like a different level of prestige that DDT didn't have before. And that's why I like this title reign so much more. Yeah, and I, I, I think just, you know, there's obviously stuff there where I think Akiyama was probably awkward about going back to Noah and didn't really want to do it, at least not full-time, whereas like DDT obviously doesn't have that kind of baggage. But yeah, just the, the idea that he would choose to do this run in DDT, you know, does elevate DDT. And, you know, he just looks like he's having a blast out there. Oh, yeah. And all these men, he looks like he's having as much fun as he's had in like a fucking decade. So, you know, I just, I do think the whole, the run is really working out well. Yeah. And I think people always think like, like, I think similarly to like, in a way that some people view Suzuki is that like, people always think, oh, look, he's this super serious guy. He's not going to do the comedy stuff. And it's like, no, that actually, he did like, even in all Japan, like, especially towards like when he like started to push himself, he did comedy stuff all the time. It's just he is the straight man in the comedy match where like everyone else around him does wacky stuff and then he just hits an exploder as like the perfect punchline to all the wacky stuff going on around him. And that's why like I think that really helped in this match as well, where like, yeah, Dino did all of this wacky stuff and then Akiyama is just like, Okay, no fucking now I'm just gonna end this match because I'm like essentially as the perfect punchline. Like it wasn't a comedy match, but like the ending was still a punchline, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it totally. I mean, this. I mean, this was not a comedy match. This was a big world title match where one of the guys' offense happened to be humping. But you know, the 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 joke at the end is obviously they have to do this penis clutch to beat him. So, but yeah. Um, afterwards, Harashima comes out to challenge Akiyama. That's your KOD Openweight Title match on June sixth at Saitama Super Arena for the Cyber Fight Festival. So, boy, can I not wait for that. I mean, I don't think that's a hot take. Agiyama versus Harashima, <laughs> be awesome. <laughs> Not much of a hot take at all. Um, but that does mean, you know, a lot of people had speculated there would be some kind of Agiyama versus Mudo match, even if it's not a singles match, with these two, you know, old guy champions uh, for this Noah DET show, and that's not happening. So it's kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah. Maybe no, no I, I was never on the people. train. I was never on the train that they were going to do Mudo versus Akiyama on that show because it would have been, like, I think they confirmed that it would be a title match as well. Oh, like, you're right. They did play yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because then um, either either you do that. either you do like I don't know, you do a draw, which would be a really big letdown, or you do like a fuck finish, which would be equally bad. Because I don't think they have any interest in unifying the titles. Yeah. So I was never on the train that they were gonna have a match there. Although to be fair, now that it's definitely confirmed that that's not happening, I'm still holding out hope that the Mudo match is him versus Nakajima and Nakajima just like squashes him in five minutes because you can have like Harashima versus Akiyama as the big like main event match that goes long. So you you can do a bit of different stuff with the Muto match. Um, But yeah, so the the other thing is, uh, as we're about to get into, you know, Harashima and Okabayashi had just won the tag titles 
So Agyama, you know, basically said he wants a shot at those belts too. Uh, Makoto Oishi at, was at ringside. So it's he and Oishi against Harashima and Okabayashi uh, coming up in only a week, uh, April 18th in Niigata. So there you go for the KOD tag titles. Uh, the other big announcement for pre-show, which I, I forgot to mention, uh, KOD eight-man tag title match, challengers to be determined. Uh, that will happen on the next cork on May 4th. Uh, that, of course, goes with the Soma Takao Universal Title Challenge that made events that show. And King of DDT, this year's single elimination tournament, that kicks off June 10th at Shinkiba, only four days after the big Cyber Fight Festival on June 6th. So I will mention we will do daily coverage of that again on the Omakase Patreon, as we did last year. It's always a really fun tournament if you never watched it. It's, you know, the, the, they do like these, this big mega show with like 16 matches. Uh, and the fr- uh, for the first round, like all in one night, and you know some of them are really quick, and it's like just a really fun tournament. Uh, it's not a long one either. It's not like the New Japan Cup, but they 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 uh, spread it out over a month. It's like it's over in like four shows basically. Uh, the semi main event, the KOD tag team titles, uh, Harashima and Yuji Okabayashi defeat Kasada Higuchi and Yukio Sakaguchi. Hiroshima pins Sakaguchi with the Somato in 1836. So Eruption fail in their third defense, and Smile Pisari uh, become the 69th. Nice. Uh, <laughs> KOG tag team champions. Well, I was a, oh, sorry, here's the ahead. thing. Sorry, I just need to interject there real quick. How do you not make Dino the 69th tag team champion? That is true. Real oversight on DET's part, you have to say. Um, was he the 69th overweight champion? I guess that's a good question. Let's see. Who was the 69th Openweight Champion? KOD Openweight Championship. Cage match. No, the 69th champion was Daisuke Sasaki. Oh, the 69th <laughs> title reign was Sasaki's two-second title reign. That's funny. When he beat Takashita at the show I was at in, uh, in New York City, April 4th, 2019, oh, uh, and loses to Endo right afterward. Endo cashes in on him uh, with the uh, the right to challenge contract. <laughs> That yeah, what a moment that was! One of the, one of my all time favorite live wrestling <laughs> moments, honestly. But uh, just an incredible. I mean, that it helped the Sasaki Takashita match was like a, you know awesome like four and a quarter star match, and then Endo catches it on, on him. I'm standing there in disbelief, thinking I'm about to witness the end of one of my favorite units of all time, and then they make up afterwards. We're just like oh, okay, and then they split up later again, only to make up again. Like I wonder how yeah. many t- more times they're actually going to do that story. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, you think of that part of it. Uh, so yes, the semi-main event here. Uh, you know, this was really good. I might be a tad disappointing for me, but I think most people seem to be higher on it, on it than me anyway. Um, it started off slow. A lot of mat wrestling and such. Um, eventually we get the Okabayashi-Higuchi big boy shoulder block battle. That goes to a draw. Neither guy goes down. They end up kind of like st- struggling into the corner with like a headlock. And then breaking from there. Uh, later on, they trade chops. It's just as hard hitting as you probably expect. Uh, Okabayashi finally ends the sequence with a running power slam and then gets him up in the Argentine backbreaker just after the 10 minute call. But Higuchi escapes from a sleeper and then gets him up with a Canadian backbreaker. That's a little, that's a little too cutesy for me, but it, it was all right. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, my, my country backbreaker is <laughs> better than yours. Uh, Okabayashi escapes. They trade lariats. Again, neither guy goes down. Higuchi finally hits a headbutt, and then another lariat to win that battle, which gets a two count. 
Uh, Sakaguchi gets Okabayashi in a cross arm breaker, but he's able to power up and escape with a power bomb in the corner. That was pretty cool. And then Hiroshima and Sakaguchi get into a big exchange of middle kicks, basically continue where they left off from their brief but awesome singles match in the Corican from two weeks ago. Uh, it ends up being kind of a draw, but I think Hiroshima stays down longer. And then he and Naguchi, or I mean Sakaguchi and Naguchi, then team up on Hiroshima. She's after the 15-minute call, but Hiroshima ends up coming back. He puts Yukio down to the Samato, and we have new champions. This is really good, but paced a little bit slower than I was expecting. What keeps it like just below the four star level to me. Still, I definitely recommend watching it. I would go three and three quarters. Yeah, no, I I I really like the match. I also kind of expected a little bit more of a, out of it, just like based on who was in the match. But I think overall it delivered. Uh, I did fully expect this to be my match of the show, but that actually ended up being the main event, funnily enough, uh, which I think really just shows how much that match actually delivered. Um, yeah, I think overall pretty decent performance. I think it was actually good title reign from Eruption as well. This was probably the weakest match of the whole reign. Like, I think it was still really good, but I just like every other match they actually had during the reign a lot more than this one, especially the match against the Sauna Club. Like, I think that one was absolutely excellent. Um, but yeah, overall pretty good performance. I was just like, like this was very much like a Sakaguchi match as well. Like, I think Higuchi, like, after he had the exchange of Okabayashi, just completely vanished from the match, more or less. Like, he wasn't, invo- like, he wasn't involved in the finish at all, and I don't think they, would, they ever even showed him, like, being taken out or, like, why he, like, didn't make the save or anything like that. Like, the match just kind of ended, and then he just reappeared in a post-match. Yeah, that was a little weird, for sure. Uh, match number four on this show was a six-man tag. Uh, Damnation versus the San Nana Kamina. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but you know what I mean. Uh, Soma Takao, Yuji Hino, defeat Yuki Ueno, Shuma Katsumata, and Mao. Uh, Soma pinned Ueno with the gin and tonic in 1550. Uh, Konosuke Takashita isn't here, of course. He's in the San Kamina, too. And he's not here because he showed up in AW. That's where he's you know, he'd tease he was doing something for the next month that would uh, take him out, you know, out of action for a while, probably only for a few weeks. And then uh, he has to do a two-week quarantine when he gets back to Japan. So I don't expect him to show up at AEW long-term is what I'm saying, because he's already booked on the Ultimate Tag League starting May 9th. And I, I'm almost positive the two-week quarantine is still a thing. So he would have to get back in Japan, let's say, no later than, uh, looks like April 25th. So two weeks from today. So yeah, I guess he can make like the next two dynamites if they want him there. But he appeared he appeared on a house show <laughs> teaming up with Cat of James Omega. And folks, this was a, they better have a fucking damn good explanation for why Takashita was teaming up with Omega and the Young Bucks. Because I don't know if people remember this or people have just forgotten, but like Kenny Omega spent the better part of a fucking year burying Takashita and Endo. Because, like, you know, and I'm not saying he did this as a shoot, by the way, but, like, it was to build up matches and it didn't end up happening due to COVID. But after he, he, remember when Kenny showed up at Ultimate Party 2019? Yeah. You know, he started cutting these promos afterwards where he's like, I'm very disappointed in Takashita and Endo as wrestlers. They haven't uh, progressed at all since I was last here. And it's really hurting DDT and it's really sad to see. 
and he buried them over and over again for the next like fucking year or whatever because they were building a feud basically with Kenny against you know like they're going to do these two matches with Kenny against Endo and Takashita and Kenny was clearly going to beat Endo for the KOD title before they decided to do you know before they couldn't get him in the country and they did Akiyama well first they did Endo Sasaki instead last year with Ultimate Party and then they did Akiyama instead but like yeah so basically in character in canon Kenny Omega has buried this guy repeatedly. And he just shows up at a fucking AW house show like, ha, here I am, team with Kenny Omega, the guy who says I suck and can't carry a company. It's like, I'm sorry. This is the exact type of shit people complain about endlessly with WWE where they ignore stuff that doesn't happen. I mean, ignore stuff that happened if it didn't happen in their company. And it's even worse probably in this case because they're, they're ignoring something that happened while Kenny Omega was in AEW. <laughs> Kenny Omega was in AEW at the time, and he went to DET and buried these guys, and they just bring Takashita over to team with Kenny like it's no big fucking deal. They, if they don't address this on Dynamite, that fucking sucks. Maybe they will. Maybe I'm ranting for no reason, but it's one, again, one of these things where I, I said this This is stupid. Why Why is Kenny and Takashita teaming? And everybody's like, oh, you gotta give him time to explain it, John. I'm like, He's in the match right now. Are they going to explain it now? Why do I got to wait for them to fucking explain it? So, whatever. I don't know. Just fucking stupid. I am reserving judgment on that just because it was a house show and we don't yet know how canon AEW house shows are. Like, it's definitely a stupid decision to have that be Takashita's, like, first appearance in AEW. But, like, if, like, essentially he just turns up on, like, Dynamite and he's feuding with, like, with uh with omega like i think in that case like i'm in essentially that way they established that like house shows aren't canon like okay then i'm like fine with that I, 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 but, like I, otherwise i know i'm not I, sure what you even do with takashita in a two-week run because the only thing that would make sense if you build it up to for him to like have like a match of omega yeah i don't know i just saw that and i was like this is fucking stupid this is the exact type of thing where people give AEW a fucking pass that they would not give other promotions a pass. So, you know, I had to mention it because it's, it's fucking dumb. So, this six-fan tag, um, Damnation won this match, as I just mentioned, in 1550. Uh, Soma, like, really goes hard after Wano ahead of their upcoming Universal title match, unsurprisingly. He just beats him up on the floor, chokes him in the corner, etc., uh, Hino keeps repeatedly killing Shuma with chops while Shuma's on the apron. That was pretty funny. You just keep going over there and just chopping him off the apron again. Uh, they had some more fun interactions, especially Shuma trying to win a test of strength against him uh, from on top of his own shoulders, which, uh, you know, kind of funny. But he, he still can't even get him to, to, to budge at all. And then Soma and Ueno have another big exchange. They throw some hard elbows that ends with Soma putting him down with a roaring elbow uh, right to the gut, which you don't really see every day. Uh, that gets a near fall. Soma finally hits the Vertebreaker. They call it the reverse gory special, but Vertebreaker sounds cooler. Uh, just after the 15-minute call. But then he pulls away up. He Just when he has the champ beat, he throws the referee into the damnation corner and then hits a low blow just for the hell of it. I love that. It's like... He did not need this low blow to beat this man. He had this man beat already. He just hit a low blow because he's a fucking asshole. Uh, and then he gives him the gin and tonic. He pins him with one knee 
with a very dominant win heading into the title match. Just, just a great a great ending here. I mean, look, Soma Takao, he's not like an all-time great or anything, but he's clearly like a guy who, you know, has been around DDT for a while and is positioned at a certain level. So it should, you know, Yuki Ueno should kind of have to look at this as like a really big hill to climb. So it makes sense that Soma just got to beat the shit out of him here heading of the title match. I wouldn't really mind them Soma winning either. And then maybe Ueno has to come back and beat him for the title. But yeah, I mean, I just, you know, this is a great start to this feud. Uh, you know, the match itself, a little a little long, um, but featured a lot of comedy and the comedy was pretty fun. And the match was enjoyable for the most part. I would go like three and a quarter. Yeah, no, I like the match as well. And to me, Ueno has clearly been the, MVP of DDT so far. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've like I obviously I love this match with Okada and that was tremendous. Uh, and I think he can probably like have a really good match with Takao as well. Like Takao, yeah, he's not like as you mentioned, like he's not like the top. Wor- like at one put him amongst like the top level workers in DDT, but I think if you put him in there with the right guy, that is hot. Like he can have a really great match. And obviously Ueno is like hyping hard right now so like if you put him in there with him like i think they can have like a tremendous match yeah i'm definitely looking forward to it uh between matches three and four naomi yoshimura came out and confirmed he's returning after about six months off he last appeared at ultimate party last year uh due to complications of his neck injury so he's returning may 9th at Corican, the opening night of the ultimate tag league he requested yuki Oeno, speaking of him his uh, longtime partner as his opponent, but that was not yet confirmed. But you know, I assume it will happen once he once he asked for it. But yeah, I mean, great to see him back. I mean, you never fucking know with neck injuries. You know, you never know how long someone's going to be out. I mean, you know, look at a uh, friggin' uh, what's his name in all Japan, uh, uh, Nomura. Yeah, I mean, you you know, no word on him really. So I mean, you just never know what like anything neck or spine how long someone's going to be out for. Uh, so it's definitely was really good to see him here. I just can't wait to see him back in the ring. Uh, match number three, the gorgeous Matsuno pre-60th birthday commemorative match. So the first one, so Tetsuya Endo, Mad Polly, and Nobuhiroshi Watani defeated gorgeous Matsuno, Toruwashi, Antonio Honda when Endo pinned Matsuno with a head scissors in 24 seconds. This was fucking hilarious. Matsuno comes out. He asks to start with Endo. Endo declines for first for some reason. He ro- rolls out the wing. Uh, and, but then he finally does oblige. And this goes even worse for Matsuno than you probably expect. Endo basically traps him in a headlock, gets the big leg scissors, and immediately pins him. <laughs> like, I've never seen someone pin with a fucking head scissors before. It was amazing. And just everybody starts to leave. I'm fucking dying. And, you know, the uh, GM, Iwabayashi, gets up and says, you know, God damn it, all of you, what the fuck? Get back in the ring right now. <laughs> He's like, do you get it? This is the pre-birthday of Gorgeous Machino. It's his last match of his 50s. Use your head, read the broom. He's like going off. And then he's like, Endo, look, he, this is the hero of the Tohoku region. He's your father's friend, goddammit. <laughs> and referee Matsuri, he's like, you know, two referee Matsuri, he's like, even if the shoulders are down, don't just count the pen. Think. And then we would start the match. So the second match, this was just so fucking funny. The second match, Matsuno, Owashi, and Honda actually managed to win. Uh, they beat Endo, Paulie, and Shimatani. Honda pinned Shimatani with the diving fist drop in 659. Um, 
you know, we start, they do more mat wrestling. Endo has Matsudo pinned again in the exact same way, but this time he kicks out. Uh, I guess it's up to the the viewer's interpretation whether Endo let him kick out or not. <laughs> uh, Matsuno tries to powerbomb Mad Polly after that with a big praying setup, i.e. like Jinzei Shinzaki. Of course cannot do that. He, his back gives out immediately. Endo is like corpsing on the apron watching this. He is just fucking dying. I mean, Endo is like the number one corpse for DET. just cannot uh, stop laughing sometimes, but like he was going crazy here. Uh, Matsuno finally gets a wrestler he can handle. He reverses a suplex attempt from Shimatani with a suplex of his own. He's able to make a big tag to Awashi. Uh, a blinded Endo and a blinded Polly from uh, from the uh, Gongitsu, the Gon the Fox, accidentally gives poor Shimatani a torture rack bomb and a big splash, respectively. And that leaves him open for Gorgeous to hit the superstar elbow, uh, followed by a fist drop from Honda for the pin. So they finish one and one, I guess. Uh, and then post-match, you know, Matsuno uh, gets the microphone again. Referee Matsui is like, no, we don't need you to speak anymore. And he's like, let me speak. I'm turning 60, but I debuted at 40, so I'm only 20 years into my career. I plan to, and the music hits, he's forced to leave. <laughs> this entire package. I don't believe really Star Rate DT comedy, like pure comedy, but this is really fucking funny. Yeah, no, I, I thought this was pretty funny as well. Like, I think it was definitely held by, like, the first match or the the first fall, I guess. I don't know what the best way to call it. Like, I think that really just, like, immediately puts you in a good mood. Like, I think even if generally you don't like comedy matches, just, like, what... Like, I don't think there's anyone that wouldn't just, like, love the start of the match. Because that's really, like, wrestling comedy done perfectly right. And then I think the antics afterwards were, like, pretty funny as well. Uh, match number two was a... Uh, Eight-man tag here. Uh, Chris Brooks, Saki Akai, Yuki Ino, and Yuki Onaya defeat Makoto Oishi, Akito, Kazuki Hirata, and Keigo Nakamura. Saki pins Nakamura at the, oh God, the Quetzalcoatl. I can never pronounce that. It's something from the, uh, the what's it, what, what was that stage play she was in? It was like fake Grand Order, right, I think? Oh, so it, it, was it from that? It's Because I always, it's, it's like a Mayan god, isn't it? Yeah, so I think it's I think it's I think she played a, that in in fake grand, in a fake grand order stage play. I, I am not a fate person. I some that's like an anime slash uh, smartphone excuse me smartphone game. Uh, you know, series for people people don't know. Ah, uh, yes, certainly. Fate is a smartphone game and nothing else. Definitely nothing else. Don't dig into fate. It's only a smartphone game. Nothing else. Oh yeah, and it's also like a it's like a hentai <laughs> series, right? <laughs> Uh, but I just know it from the smartphone game because uh, my friends play Fake Grand Order a lot, so they they sure love that series. I'm not; it's never been a thing I play, but I know a lot of people who play it. Anyway, so Saki Kai gets the pin here in 10:08. Um, a screaming Kago Nakamura running at Yuki Onaya as like fast and hard as he can, uh, only to bounce off him instantly as soon as they're both tagged in. That was the highlight for me. It was very funny. Just fucking screaming as he like bounces off this man. Uh, we get the big sequence with Hirata placing his sunglasses on Eno and then like moves him around the ring with an evil grin, like some kind of deranged puppet master. That was really funny. Uh, Eno he picks him up on his shoulders for a dance, but he's actually free of his power. The sunglasses came off, so he drops him with a Death Valley driver. That was really funny. 
And then Hirata ends up rolling him up anyway, though. So just a really fun little sequence. And then Saki Akai ends up pinning Nakamura to finish off a fun little match. I would go like three stars or so. Yeah, no, this was fun, definitely. What I'm curious about is, though, is the uh, uh, Saki Akai versus Chris Brooks extreme title match. Yeah, I'm very curious what type of match that is actually going to be. If Saki Akai actually does a death match, that's... That's something. That's right? going to be something, yeah. <laughs> so the post-match promo, she she basically says she wants to challenge Chris Brooks because uh, she says, I got the six-man belt to form an eruption, but I lost it for the team. Ever since, I've been watching Sakaguchi and Higuchi in title matches from the corner. And she's like, everybody's busting their asses in DET right now, and I want to carry some of the weight too. I want to challenge you for the for your extreme title. And then she says in, in English, I want your I want your belto. Uh, and there you go. And, and, you know, Chris Brooks says, you know, wakali masta in, in, uh, in Japanese. Like, I understand. Uh, but, yeah, GM Imbayashi, I don't think he announced a place for it. I think he just said, well, it'll be a double title match as of now, since Saki is the current Ironman heavy metalweight champion. But, you know, she has to hold it till then, of course. So we'll say. Yeah, no, that that's going to be really interesting. Like, imagine if she if, if it actually ends up being like if they do like a proper proper death match, and then she ends up liking it, and so gives up her acting career. And twenty years, she looks like Jun Kasai. <laughs> yeah. What a what a what a head cannon you came up with there. Uh, but there you go. So the opener was the Yuya Koroku debut match. Uh, Yusuke Okada beat him and with a crab hole in seven twenty eight. Uh, I thought this was, you know, a good little debut for Yuya. Pretty standard opening young boy stuff, but with some time for him to show off his, uh, you know, his amateur wrestling background, his legit amateur wrestling background. Which, imagine being like a legit amateur wrestler and being like, I'm going to DJ. It's just kind of <laughs> interesting. But yeah, uh, he did lose this, of course, but, you know, I thought he looked pretty good at, for, as far as the first match goes. I went like two and three quarters. Yeah, no. Also interesting. Look, it's uh, it's Okada, and he's winning an undercard uh match uh, it's like it's been a while since i've seen that <laughs> <laughs> definitely wouldn't have been winning the match here's the thing like his front towards the end got so bad like if this exact match had happened like at the end of last year in all japan would he have won the match because i think he wouldn't yeah it was it was something with him i mean they knew he was leaving i guess but yeah i mean it was it was really something to watch in real time but again, still, like, even if you know the guy is leaving, like, I don't know, like, at least, like, don't drop him out for a year. Like, maybe, <laughs> build, maybe try and build him up. Maybe try and convince him to not, like, have this, like, tremendous young talent. Maybe try and give him a push, at least at first. And then let's see maybe if you can, like, change his mind. And then, I don't know, like, if he then doesn't leave, then you can, like, drop him out on the way out. Like, you can have him lose, like, a big match and then lose, like, a couple of tag matches at the end. But at least you, like, try to keep this talent and don't just, like, start burying him right away. So he's definitely leaving. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I just, it was really, really bizarre, uh, you know. But they, it's all, I mean, a lot of all Japan booking has been bizarre in the last, like, year and a half. So. I'm sure we're actually, we've actually probably talked about that a lot more in the first half of the show. That's true. The first half that we haven't... Don't spoil anything for me, by the way. I haven't watched <laughs> it. I haven't looked at the spoilers because uh, I want to be, you know... I don't like. Yeah, I haven't I seen any spoilers it. either, but... Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Undermatch, which I did not watch, so did you watch this? Uh, I actually did watch the Undermatch, but it was, okay. like, more with, like, a half. I, I don't really remember all that much about it. Okay. It was the it was two more young boys, uh, Deki Okatani, beating Toy Kojima with the Northern Light Suplex with five, in 506. 
there's really no good reason why I didn't watch this. It's mostly because um, if the show airs on Samurai, and my option is Samurai or Universe, I always go with Samurai because it's just a um, it's just a, it looks better on my TV because I have that like Japanese streaming service loaded onto my Fire Stick, and just it's like you know very smooth streaming. Whereas like uh, just loading up the Universe on the browser, it's just like you know <laughs> a freeze per second is a little low. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, Samurai does not really undermatch. So and it's pretty much why I didn't watch it. Yeah. No. I mean, I I love like the like Wrestle Universe. Like it's obviously like a tremendous value service and everything. And this was actually like the fir- like I got myself a uh, Xbox Series S recently. So it was like the first time I actually like watched it on the browser on the Xbox Series S. And like this is something that I've like encountered like a couple times on like other devices as well, not just this one. Because like my biggest criticism about like Wrestle Universe is that it has the f- most finicky login screen I've ever encountered with any service ever. Like it took me such a long time to actually like be able to log in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it is, it is pretty finicky. I see. PS Five does not have a internet browser. Very weirdly, and they should really add one because it's like really. Because I used to watch Universe on my PS Four, but can't do that anymore. Uh, so there you go. That's DDT. Paul, let's wrap up the show that we've only recorded half of. <laughs> Uh, where can people find you on Voices of Wrestling? Well, I yeah. guess I can find you on Voices of Wrestling. Spoiler. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. No, uh, yes. Uh, Voices of Wrestling. Uh, I assume by the time you hear this, since uh, we're going to record the rest tomorrow, uh, y- my uh, review of the night two of the Champion Carnival should be up. Uh, so you can read what that. Did you think and of it, by the way? Did you, did you, I, I, I seem to be way lower on it than like, Grapple. Uh, I liked I liked it. Uh, it definitely wasn't as nearly as good as Night One, obviously. Um, I think it was still relatively solid. And there's something I want to say, but maybe I want to talk about this tomorrow slash in the first half <laughs> of the show. So <laughs> I'm not going to say it right now. Um, but like, I think overall it was pretty solid. Um, I did like I did like Otani uh, versus Kento. Like, I think yeah, Otani, Otani versus Kento was awesome. Yeah, that was I pretty good. Star, I went four stars on that, but I thought the rest of the show was like kind of bad. I don't know the rest of the other four. Here's like the it. here's the thing. I think the weirdest match, and you can read that in the review. To me, was uh, Doi versus Ota- uh, Doi uh, versus um, why am I blanking on his name right now? Uh, Doi versus. Uh, yeah, I can help you. Let me see. I don't remember who the fuck Doi faced, but let's say uh, Doi versus uh, Koei Sato. Yeah, it was Koei Sato. That was the weirdest match, like because I actually like like the first couple of minutes of that because they just like did like this really nice stiff like like sprint type of match, and then they just for the second half of the match just did like the tease where Doi got knocked out, and then that was, was the really entire match. Time. And I was like, yeah. I don't know, you could have just done a sprint where they just beat the shit out of each other, and I probably would have liked that a lot more than doing this weird, like, knockout tease. Yeah. But, like, yeah. overall, I think it was still solid. Like, I think it's definitely a lot... Like, I think that show, if you put that show on last year's carnival, it's, like, the best or second best show of the entire tournament. Yeah, I was a little... I was lower than you then, because I, I don't know. I thought it was much more like the 2020 tournament than night one was, which night one was great. Hmm. But hey, you'll hear us talk. You've already heard us talk about night three. (laughs) We haven't even watched it yet as we're recording this, but wacky. Okay, so Paul, you got that. Anything else? Twitter? Uh, I mean, (laughs) you're going to put it in the uh, post, so it's going to be there. So follow me if you want to. But as I said on the Mania preview, I don't ever actually tweet. 
So it's my one number number one rule of Twitter is never tweet. And the only thing I do is like retweet and like the things that I'm on. So yeah. There you go. All right, folks. So that will wrap us up here. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omikase, Wrestling Wouldn't Fit. Uh, Patreon.com slash Wrestling Omikase. Uh, we'll have another new one match episode later this week. Um, assuming it's going up on Monday, I think it'll be like two days later. And then we'll have a, a more champion carnival coverage. Because again, as I'm sure I went over already in the night in the night three coverage, night three is the only night of the champion carnival we are covering on the free feed. Every other show right up through the final will be only on the Patreon. So if you want to hear my thoughts on the entire rest of this tournament, starting next weekend with the Saturday and Sunday shows, uh, nights four and five, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Only $5 you get. Everything we've ever done, it's almost approaching a year now uh, of content. Just a ton of stuff on there. Plus the Champion Carnival stuff for this month. Uh, plus everything else we're going to do. Uh, exclusive, the Wrestling Dontaku shows will be covered exclusively on the Patreon next month. So just tons of stuff. Uh, you know, every big tournament you can think of. I mean, you know, like I mentioned, King of DDT. Uh, you know. So just tons of stuff on there. Patreon.com slash Wrestling Omakase. Uh, and thank you, as always, for listening, folks. And... We will see you. Oh, I didn't need to plug next week's episode. Uh, next week, uh, I'll be joined by Kevin Brown. Uh, that'll probably be on Monday, April 19th. And Kevin, of course, from the Bad Wrestling Podcast, will be with me to discuss the two Corican Hall shows from Pro Wrestling Noah, the Sunday, April 18th Corican, and Tokyo Joshi, who we haven't talked about in a while, the Saturday, April 17th Corican. So that'll be next week's free episode here. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.